Thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Shipra. I'm president of the Hyderabad chapter of ADI Hyderabad. And uh, at ADI, we are a, a bunch of professionals, design aspirants, design practitioners who've come together to uh, give a platform to promote this best practices in the profession of design in India by strengthening and promoting the capabilities of the Indian design profession, as well as amplifying and presenting a unified voice to influence public policy, shape the industry, and benefit the people at large. And today I have the honor to introduce Arvind Dodaya. Arvind, thanks for joining us today. Arvind is a trained product designer. He's worked extensively in product, service, and business innovation, design, and branding. He's worked across sectors, teaching at Premier Institute in Design and overseas, and works with social impact startups, including a museum on conflict, a tech-enabled vocational skilling venture, and a design-led business incubator. I've personally known and worked with Arvind for at least a half a decade or a little more. And uh, for me, every morning presence has been a huge learning experience. And his interest just, just rubs on everyone around him, including me. So it, 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 it's, it's just been a great journey to know you, Arvind, and work with you. And uh, without any further ado, I'll hand it over to Arvind. Uh, Arvind, all yours. Somebody uses the word learning experience. It's hard to make out whether it's uh, you know like it's a compliment or it's actually a gali, because you know I learned a lot. You know, which means that I got a nice slap in my face or whatever. I had some pretty unpleasant experiences, but you made it up with what you said afterwards. And I must say that uh, in turn, I have learned a lot, all in the positive way, working with you as well. Thank you very much. Um, so what I have today actually is a slightly offbeat presentation, perhaps considering the theme of what you what you guys are talking about, and I, I apologize for, for not paying attention to that. Uh, I might have come out with a slightly different uh, presentation if I had applied myself to that, but I did not. So, um, but I make up, I promise that we can make up for it in the, in the Q&A session. That will be open. You don't necessarily have to reflect or comment on what I'm sharing today which is important in my view, uh, especially for those uh, amongst us here who are in the design education field. So my presentation is primarily aimed at those in, who are uh, in the education, but you could even be a student. It doesn't mean you have to be a faculty, but it is more important about what one learns and what should one learn uh, when it comes to design. So uh, it's a very short presentation. Hopefully uh, it won't bore you too much. I'm going to switch to the screen now. For those of you who are in the, like, who have been trained in design and so on, it would be a crime not to be able to place the person who made this statement. Uh, and you know, it's not Charles Eames, um, but it is somebody of equal or more higher eminence. It's Herbert Simon, who's a Nobel Prize winner in economics and political science, I think, uh, but who was also equally interested in systems theory and design theory, actually. One of the earliest you know, scientists to really work in, in, in design theory, uh, which has become quite, quite uh, extensive since he started or pioneered the field. And I think this quote of his really captures uh, what my understanding of design is. It is important to also have definitions of what we talk about because design is such an open-ended word. It could mean anything and everything and rightly so. Uh, but when we talk about design in this particular context, in a professional context or academic context, it is important to state your definition. You can have any definition that you choose, but my definition, definition for this purpose is to devise courses of action aimed at changing existing situations into preferred ones, right? So that's, that's I think, as open-ended and as generous a definition as you can have, which means that even people in the prehistoric era uh, who found ways to improve their conditions or to do something 
easier or better or more efficiently or more pleasurably. Uh, also, were designers, right? And and there's a very popular saying which uh, Ranjan and others used to always sort of tell us, which is that design is an ancient activity, but a very young profession. So as a professional practice or as an established profession or a discipline, design is barely a hundred years old. Uh, whereas, as a human activity, and I completely uh, relate with this, and wherever I can, I basically try and share my view, which is that design is actually is nothing but evolution, and that's my my point of view. Is that human beings have evolved, uh, and and I think they've evolved. The impulse that pushes us, or the urge that takes us towards evolving is the design urge, is the design instinct. It's as fundamental as that. So design, the profession, when it was born, was actually in Europe in roughly about 100 years ago, in between or around the so-called world wars in the 1920s, 15, thereabouts. Um, and then it, that's exactly when the institutions that basically spawned what we call design today uh, were actually also born and came up. And the circumstances then around that period of time were like this, the, the whole, that whole continent was completely destroyed by war and was just coming out of it. The war was over. The planet was still, you might say, pretty untapped and you know, open for exploitation. It was still green. It was still pretty uh, nature, whatever, infested. And there was a great need to bring back the economy. The economy had been completely flattened out by a prolonged war and economic activity had completely stopped. So when we fast forward from there to today, you see what has changed. So from that war scenario, uh, we have now moved to an economy which is extremely huge, but also extremely uh, iniquitous. In other words, there is super wealthy and there is super poverty. So it's, it's become huge. A lot of wealth has been created, but it has not gone evenly across the population of the planet. It has roughly gotten divided into two halves. The planet, as we knew it, has completely sort of lost its, um, you know, pristine quality and its resources and its richness and its wealth. Uh, in fact, this thanks to the hundred odd years that we have plundered this planet uh, and led to its current state today, it has already given a name for an era, like the Anthropocene, what they call, is an era that is called, I mean, unlike any other era which typically lasts for millennia or you know, hundreds and thousands and billions of years, this era has lasted only 100 years and yet it has qualified as an era because the scale of impact that we have had on, our, on, on the planet as a species is equal to that of millions of years of evolution, natural evolution, can you imagine? So that really shows us the scope of the scale of the issue, the magnitude of the issue and the crisis that we are facing. And last but not the least, uh, we have the economy, which which has which started off as economic building and development and growth and engineering and goods and supplies and all of that. But today, increasingly, it is resulting in this kind of larger and larger, ever-growing mountains of waste, which we can't get rid of. We don't know what to do with this waste. So there's increasing amounts of waste that is being piled up somewhere, uh, usually not in our site, but you know, when you're in India, everything is in the open site as well. Uh, but we still don't have a sense of the scale of garbage, pollution, and waste that our planet has been saddled with since in these short hundred years. And unfortunately, or fortunately maybe, design is a key instrument in bringing things to this pass from where we started out. So if you look back at Herbert Simon's question about changing existing situation into a preferred one, it is time to ask the same question again. Uh, what exists and what is preferred, right? And, and as I just will show you now, I mean, I gave you a little preview in the previous slide that the world has completely changed from where design started out. Design itself has changed as a practice 
But my question has been, has design education changed? And I'll try and give you an answer to this. So when design started out in about 100 years ago, it was aligned, it sort of was aligned around the industry verticals. So industry was coming up and there were products being made and furniture being made and textiles being printed out or woven and graphics being created and so on and so forth. So design started adapting itself to these industry verticals. Right? So you have specializations emerging called product design, furniture design, and so on and so forth. Over the years, more got added on like animation, multimedia, and so on. Right. So this became the logic in which design education sort of kept adding more and more stuff. That's really what the framework that you have today with some minor modifications. And this, these are what I call the verticals of design education as they by and large exist today, even about 100 years after they were founded. But the world has changed. Everything has changed. So the, our economy itself, the notion of the economy has changed from, at that time, what was a linear economy, which means that you extract minerals and stuff from the earth, you convert them into products, you use up the products and throw the products and discard them, and it becomes adds to the pile of waste. It's a linear process. It starts from the planet, from the earth, and it goes, it turns into waste at the end of the thing. Whereas today, we have concepts like circular economy, which means that you don't create waste, but you just keep on processing and recycling the same material over and over again in innovative ways, in, in effective ways, so that you don't change, upset the balance of what is already in the earth and what is added, dumped onto the earth. Everything becomes a, a loop kind of a system. So that's the new concept that we're already uh, familiar with, and we have to figure out how to actually live with this. Uh, when we started out, hundred years ago, it was all about machinery. It was a machine age, even design aesthetics at that time was called machine aesthetics because this was the transition from handmade things to machine made things. So a new kind of styling had to be created and that's what design became very good at. It started out, even today we are following many of the precedents set at that time in terms of a machine aesthetic. But today what we have is machinery is already becoming obsolete in many senses. We're getting into very, very different forms of production of goods and services. Many of the goods that we are now producing and consuming are no longer physical or material. They are of, often they are virtual or experiential in some sense. Uh, and the current, if you like, the current industrial area or growth area is in sort of these invisible networked systems rather than products or objects. And even in, to the extent where we are talking about bioengineering and really engineering nature in some ways, so as to meet our requirements in the times to come. Our, our end user, our customer uh, of design, when we perhaps when I, at least I was in design school, used to be a generation which was the, you might call it the hippie generation, very, very kind of laid back, ultra liberal, very, very lifestyle oriented and so on and so forth. That is no longer the case. Today, perhaps you have a new generation of, of consumers that design has to serve, and this will keep changing with every successive generation. This is the new generation. And as you can see, the new generation is predominantly digital. Uh, it, it is not uh, you know, sitting with a car on a car or whatever it is. Of course, it has cars, but that is not the identifier of the generation. The identifier of the generation is the touchscreen. The earliest way in which design operated, how design actually achieved its results, was by a simple manipulation. We created sexy things, we created attractive things, we created really cool objects to, to attract people to use them and to find them really uh, useful and, and desirable. That has changed now. We have learned a lot more about the human mind and how it operates, culture, behavior, and so on and so forth. And we use a lot of that know-how now in sort of not just manipulating uh, like a simple instinctive like-dislike response, but also more fundamental deep-rooted behavior change outcomes uh, at the mental model level. That's another fundamental change that has happened. Uh, our earlier model of the, of the 
we the world world including nature including society uh, was pretty mechanistic so even herbert simon when he started doing his theorizing of design uh, it was a very mechanistic approach to mapping the design uh, science as he called it uh, and and to some extent it still applies but it has gone largely into technology and engineering space what we teach as design now has slightly deviated from that mechanistic model into a much more ecological or systemic model and in fact if you have heard the term uh, we are now engaging with wicked problems which are really very hard to pin down they are even hard to figure out whether they are they exist or not in the first place because you are already inside the problem in some sense so it's very hard to know that there is a problem going on Uh, and of course there is no formula for it there is no solution for it the solution is only found by doing it or by attempting it so this is the paradigm shift that has also occurred in these short hundred odd years business was done using this kind of very simple paradigm of competition where you had to compete you had to fight to win the market and so on and so forth uh, even teaching even education was very competitive which it still is unfortunately but the new mode that we are discovering now to even to do business or to exist on this planet for that matter is through collaboration and a lot of design teaching and practice is now done in teams and that to multidisciplinary teams which means collaboration is becoming a more important skill than just excelling at the solitary level which is how we learned design the whole aim of design where design got applied was basically making stuff that that would sell and the ultimate you know the question that any faculty member or juror or critic would ask is this is very nice but will it sell and that was like the end of all questions uh, and and that i think has changed somewhere uh, we are actually looking at more higher value goals of course this is not what they teach at design school yet but i think this is the kind of shift that we need to bring about is that from just get creating stuff that sells we should be creating stuff that enlightens that makes people more aware that it makes people more spiritually sound and uh, you know centered in their own being and a lot more resi resilient uh, and therefore design education also for for in in its early years was really about skilling about training the designer in certain skills of design as it should be but today perhaps there is a need to shift the needle a little bit from skilling pure skilling towards also empowering towards realizing your own power as a human being on this planet and towards actually using that power to make change because change is what is is really badly needed as as um, i've tried to show you already and this is actually in the background if you can see the picture it is a picture of the so called great pacific garbage patch which is a huge natural kind of collection of floating plastic waste which is actually accumulated in the center of the pacific ocean and it spans several hundred kilometers it's like almost like a continent or or an island or a microcontinent in the middle of the pacific ocean uh, which is really where all the waste that we are creating and dumping is ending up and and you know we are not because we can't see it we think it but that's the whole issue so i mean i really saw this i saw this quote just a few days back and i added this to my presentation which is that it's not that we can't see solutions we have lots of solutions we have too many solutions perhaps but we don't see the problem and i think that really is the fundamental challenge today for both design education and design practice so what i have in mind and this is something that i'm working on currently in this university that i'm associated with is to create a slightly different framework for design education which i'm calling horizontal design and and the idea of course being that you still have verticals but they are not design verticals they are what i would call impact verticals uh, and the whole goal of these verticals is to produce a kind of the preferred society preferred situation that we are looking at which is a society which is you know uh, much more empowered much more 
um, you know, uh, it's sustainable and so on and so forth. So, and there are all these fields of impact in which work is being done towards achieving that larger macro goal. And I think design has a role to play, not by sticking to its own verticals, but by going outside and actually tying up and collaborating with all these other impact verticals. So what can design do if it collaborates with medicine? What can design do if it goes into agriculture and food production? What can design do in terms of conserving the environment and promoting sustainable lifestyles? What can design do in the field of education to make people learn better and easier and so on and so forth? What can design do in governance and you know, citizenship and so on and so forth? So I think design has to go out of its conventional vertical boxes and really embrace change, embrace impact where it's happening and start joining up, joining forces with that. And we all know this, and I know this also from my own experience, and I'm sure as so many other people like us have discovered this for ourselves, is that when we collaborate with other people in their domain of work, we're actually able to impress them and they get really impressed by the value that we bring to their field, to their activity. And I think that's really where design needs to go. Uh, and therefore there's a kind of a simple framework that for education that, that, that I've come up with, which we are trying to work on. So on the, on the right-hand side, you can see the four Cs, roughly speaking, which is the design component of the, of the program, which involves first and foremost citizenship education. And I think it's absolutely important that we locate education, all education, not just design education, in the context of who we are and where we stand, first and foremost. So it's not really about being designers or about being doctors or lawyers. It's about being citizens. That two citizens, not just of the nation, but of the planet. We have to develop and completely shift our identity from being these kind of localized national beings to being planetary beings. Because if we don't, I think we have a pretty tough time ahead of us. Correlated with citizenship is to actually become responsible. What is the right content? And that because the focus of this program is essentially towards communication, we are looking at content as a focus area. As the main substance or meat of communication design. Uh, and more, unlike most communication design programs, here creating content and really authoring, editing, uh, and, and you know, um, crafting content is as much a part of the program or of the outcome as the communication, the design of the communication itself, which is the next step, of course, which we can't do without, but where we are looking at both, not just the art, artistic aspects of communication, but also the science behind communication. So there's all scientific undergrounding, which now is available to us, which may not have been available 50 years ago in terms of design education. But today we know so much more about how cognition works, how perception works, um, that that becomes fundamental to the teaching and practice of communication design. And last but not the least, working with communities uh, that's another important shift away from working. Usually we have trained uh, our students to work in a kind of corporate design context, which is in a design studio or in a design lab, which is usually far away from the actual field of impact. Uh, you sit in your lovely, beautiful uh, little you know, isolated studios or practice areas, uh, and you practice design for people out there, outside your windows. Whereas I think the new mode of design is a lot more inclusive, is a lot more participatory. It also uh, believes, like I said, about collaboration is that everybody has the capacity and potential to be a designer. And as the trained designers, perhaps our job is to facilitate that kind of good design to emerge through collaboration rather than try and do it all yourself. So community engagement and activation is another important aspect of this program. And then the last two pieces of the program is immersion in the impact domain. So now instead of specializing in your conventional design special uh, verticals like furniture or product or whatever it is, you can now, you should be able to immerse and specialize in an impact area. So you could be become a trained or an expert designer in the field of education or in the field of healthcare or in the field of 
law, uh, ju judiciary justice system, maybe. Who knows where? You can choose your impact domain and learn all about it through immersion and acquire the technical application expertise required for that particular function, which means you don't have to learn the same skill set that everybody else does, but you learn those, those technical skills which are specific to and valuable in your own domain of choice. And of course, it all comes together, which it always has in the context of traditional design education uh, in the form of integrative studios or labs or projects, where all these concepts are actually poured together or they start interweaving together and you start seeing how they manifest themselves in outcomes. Uh, just to wrap up, uh, I really believe that design practice cannot really uh, change the world because design practice, unfortunately, is hitched to business and to sort of sort its established clientele. And until the client instructs you to change, the practitioner is not going to change on his or her own. I think education must show the new models, business models or operational models, where design can actually start impacting in other ways and making a larger change. So education must nudge the practice to actually start leading and showing the kind of uh, future scenarios uh, which are actually viable for all of us in terms of a new materiality, a new sociality, a new spirituality, uh, altogether a new blueprint or an operating system for the planet. That's it for now. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Arvind. Uh, I think it, it is definitely going to make all of us pause and think what we've been doing, what we've, you know, the, the, the people here in this uh, firm, if, They've received a design education and I think we're going to question all of that of what did we study, what are we doing? And many times even I feel, are we prepared to do what we had learned? Is it directly up applying all the training, all the practice, and are we ready to be a part of the future? So this has really given us a lot of uh, points to think on. Uh, we do have a few questions here and sure. I'll quickly take one at a time. So Shivani asks, how do you design a portfolio that attracts horizontal collaboration? Uh, to some extent, I've given you the hint already. You try and choose projects or, uh, you know, choose to spend time or immerse in these so-called impact domains. You look around and you have to ask the question, where is impact being made in your own immediate context, perhaps? And then you have to find a way to actually go and work in that domain as a designer. And that becomes your portfolio piece. That becomes, and it doesn't have to be, uh, an artifact. It doesn't have to be like a product or whatever it is. It can just be your contribution by just being part of the team, being part of the, the team on the ground uh, and contributing in just, just, just by your own presence and by your kind of existential intelligence. So I think uh, impact, find impact and just, just get involved and your portfolio will emerge automatically. This is actually very similar to what Mahatma Gandhi apparently said. I just remembered that now. There's a quote attributed to Gandhi saying, find purpose, means will follow. Unfortunately, we all look for the means. Show me how. Show me, you know, how to do this so that I can reach the purpose. And he said, first find purpose. And once you find the purpose, you'll be so consumed by it and obsessed by it that the means will automatically come to you. We have Akash who's asked us to ask you, uh, are juggling between models of education design-led learning, what the possibility of a hybrid model, which is beyond the classroom? Absolutely. I mean, there, there is all kinds of possibilities. I think uh, hybrid is a useful word because it, it is the opposite of pure. And I think uh, pure has outlived its purpose by I mean, many decades now already. And, and it, we're already in a state of experimentation and transition. We don't quite know what we are transitioning towards. We don't really have an end goal in mind. We just know that we have the, we know the conditions for the goal. 
that uh, the transition should take us to a state where we have certain attributes in terms of outcomes and experiences and capabilities and contribution and so on and so forth. And we're all trying to find our way towards it. Uh, and there is nothing to say that this is right and that is wrong. So, so I think a, a combined model or hybrid model of the kind you talk about is absolutely valid and definitely worth pursuing. And we have Rasagya who asked, how do we transition from teaching computers as a tool to computational thinking? Wow. Uh, I don't know if you're asking this question as a teacher or as a student, but I will assume you're a teacher or asking from the teacher's perspective because uh, you use the word teaching. Uh, I think the bigger question that you're asking is how do we sort of defocus our students from uh, you know just mastering the tool to actually mastering thinking, right? I mean, it could be computational or it could be something else also. So I mean, it could just equally be with, to do with a brush or whatever it is as well, just as well. And I think that is really, really key, uh, key as a teacher because, and especially in the field of design, because the versatility of a designer is not so much by the tools that we that we are fluent in because they keep changing from generation to generation, but in the thinking that, that we bring and that we can actually contribute and that evolves with our practice. Computational thinking to my mind, I mean, I can just brainstorm right now. I don't have an answer for it offhand, but would come from uh, thinking logically, sequentially, and really coherently. And these are unfortunately not skills that are really taught in our schools so well. Um, in our schools, we are taught to just fill up page after page of answer sheets, whether it's uh, language examination or whatever, geometry and maths and so on and so forth. And I think we have to really undo that training that unfortunately young people pick up in school and they assume or they learn, they, they believe that that is the right way to do it. We have to really disabuse them of that notion and take them back to, to the pure, uh, you know, notion of, of whether it's rhetoric or whether it's logic or whether it's whatever the fundamentals of cognition and thinking are, you have to take them back to that. And it, it's a, it's a, it's not a simple process. Just instruction is not going to actually make it happen. So it has to be, we have to actually plot their transformation as almost as, we, as if we were a service designer or an experience designer, taking your end user from the current state, which is where, which is where they come into the college from, to the desired state, which is the kind of the, the thinking capability or skill that we want them to have and mapping out the entire journey in stages and sequences. And of course, being very, very creative and imaginative in terms of resources, but it can be done and it should be done. Uh, and we have a question from Ramo and there's a context and a question and it's pretty lengthy. So I'm going to read out the way he's written. This design imagines itself as a future. In practicing design is mostly used by the industry as a service for deliverables. Most design educates predict design practice over design academia. A few design academics that do explore academia have yet to establish the perception of design as a serious contender with the larger arts academy. Compared to the development of art theory, design theory at best, best remains the develop, best remains nascent almost a hundred years post powers. We still have this massive gaps relative to most other disciplines. How do we become that future? Uh, that's a long question, but I have a short answer for you that uh, I think design is not a discipline. And, and by trying to make it into a discipline, in a sense, make it fit into the conventional you know, uh, format of a discipline is in my view, it's a, it's, a, it's a futile exercise and it's going to give us heartburn and frustration anyway. So we are not a science. Uh, at all. So let's not even pretend that we are actually, we borrow a lot from science and we use a lot of science in our practice, but we are not a science. Uh, equally so, we are not pure fine art either. 
So we are actually uh, somewhere in between. We are an applied discipline. Uh, and I would just say applied imagination or applied creativity. And I think the strength of design really is in its, in its practice, in its practice. And that's why I'm not upset when I see most uh, uh, alumni or students opting for a practice career because design is a practice uh, in discipline, if you want to call it like that. Um, and, and, and I think the job of academics and theory, it doesn't mean that there's no role for theory, but I think theory must follow practice, must come after practice. Practice is the job of practice to keep on opening the boundaries of what is possible to completely new things, because that's where experimentation, that's where risk taking, that's where, you know, pushing the envelope actually happens. It doesn't happen in the brain, it happens in the making of things. And once you do it, or once you fail even, then somebody can come and study what you did and say, oh, let me understand what happened. Let me theorize it. Let me put it into a framework or a model and see if that is a generalizable kind of model and so on and so forth. So somebody else will then come after the practice to actually write out the theory and the case study and derive the model or framework from it, which can then be replicated and taught as well. So I see that as the kind of overall ecosystem of, of design practice and theory and, and academia in, in, in that sense. So the short answer really was that uh, design is, is really a practice. At its heart, it's a practice. If you take away the practice piece from design, then it's no longer, it no longer exists. I have another, and I think we will keep this as the last question because you're already at six. Uh, very interestingly, Ravind asks, in addition to spirituality, what about humility? Um, humility, in my view, is a subset of spirituality. It, it's a package deal, right? Spirituality is what is spirituality? Spirituality is basically, you know, finding a way to, to answer certain existential questions and be peaceful, happy and content within yourself. At least that's my, my way of looking at spirituality. You, have, you can have a different way altogether as well. Um, and to my mind, if you, if you aspire to be spiritual or your instinct to be spiritual will automatically steer you towards being humble uh, and, and not arrogant and not presume that you know or you uh, have the answers to all the world's problems or, or you are entitled to, to, to ruling or controlling uh, decisions or whatever it might be. Uh, you are comfortable in both places. You are comfortable in power and you are comfortable outside power. You are comfortable in wealth and you are also comfortable in, in poverty. And it doesn't really affect you so much. I mean, in, to some extent, it affects all of us. To me, that resilience, that ability to exist in a very steady state, in a very serene way, uh, taking whatever is there and, and being positive, being optimistic, being generous is actually what spirituality is. You're giving us a lot of, you know, <laughs> bites. I yeah. think are going to not just gyan, you know, these things you hear, but when you hear in this context, I've been, you know, listening to you and these so many bombs to just stay with, linger around and say, what does this mean? <laughs> so I think this is extremely interesting. Uh, so I've been asked to take one more question and because, you know, there, there are many, but I think we'll take one more. It's in a... What way do you think design will evolve in next 10 years? And will uh, there be new domains, fields to focus and work on as a designer? And what will they so be? So that's actually what my presentation was about, if in case you missed it. Uh, because I actually did think about the future of design when I was trying to map out this new curriculum that I'm creating. And my conviction or my even my, my sort of intention was that design design should step out of its own boxes historical boxes that we have inherited uh, and actually embrace the world. We should go out and distribute ourselves across domains. And in my own experience, I have found and I have, I have a lot of other people that I've shared this thought with have also confirmed this for me is that, uh, you know, the, the design can add value almost anywhere. You can put a designer in almost any uh, 
area of activity of human activity and he or she will be able to contribute in that in that space that is the amazing aspect of of i think what design is all about and that's what makes me believe that it is it's a universal evolutionary impulse i mean the impulse to i mean philips the philips brand got it very well many years ago when they ran this campaign called make things better or something like that let's make things better i think that really is the the tagline of design is just making things better and it is open ended it could be in any context it doesn't have to be in an industrial context or a social context or a biological context or even a martian context in every context i think the designers training and ability is to say okay what can i do to make it better and that's also what makes designs designers really painful critics because we always find faults Uh, because we are always looking for making things better so we are always finding faults with even the best of the best and this is not good enough that is still not satisfying this could still be better that's the kind of training that we get and that's what we do when we in our existence uh, which makes us very painful for some you know members of our family and so on but uh, i think that's that's the beauty of being who we are uh, that that we find faults and we find ways to make things better uh, so that's why i think that we should stop doing it only in the narrow domains of product and furniture and systems and so on and so forth we should go out all over the world and make things better and i think the framework that i am working on the intention behind it at least is to equip the student to to you know to become versatile enough and confident enough to with the basic fundamental design abilities to to not sort of impose himself or herself on another domain that would be really wrong but to humbly since you talked about humility learn and uh, you know really blend into that space and and in and become a valuable contributor in that impact area so i would imagine a designer to go into isro you know and and become part of some team there i would imagine a designer to go into a really grassroots ngo in odisha somewhere let's say working in the uh, adivasi communities and add value there i would imagine a designer to go into a a posh university somewhere in a completely academic space or even in a, a scientific lab perhaps with this fundamental work in physics or whatever it is and add value there i think we can and we should and i think design education has to open up open up that space for young people to learn design and then to sort of go out and you know populate the the whole world with designers yeah and i think i i, I personally have seen that shift when i graduated uh, uh they were very limited things of what was expected from you you know and that has changed drastically where you are not just you know being called to make that impact at what you see but then you know try to understand what is going behind and that has spread right. across domains you know thing that you have never right. imagined uh is exactly. is kind of catching interest so i think it's a great time of what you are saying you know let us be versatile let us go around across these you know these extremes so i think that is also a great time you know people are expecting think, designers to come yes. to make that impact exactly I, that's ex actually absolutely right because i have encountered that expectation from, from the world yes. people are waiting for designers in a sense yes. you know and uh, to come and actually work with them and to to enhance their output they realize i mean I, I, my own partner is a scientist and and we often now have amazing discussions on what what she researches which is to do with some forest ecology at the roots level and all that which is very technical stuff but you know from my own layman perspective when we discuss things in terms of presentation in terms of uh, visualization and showing uh, uh, you know the the sharing the idea with other scientists or to make a pitch for funding Uh, suddenly we find there's a lot of convergence that starts happening because the language i speak or the ideas i bring completely dovetail into the needs of that situation and and the my input is not resented as some you know no all person but somebody who actually adds value and i think the same applies 
across the board you can name any industry any area and i can you know bet you that you will be able to find a way by which a designer can make a contribution there and to go back to the point shipra you were saying is that it's it's perhaps a manifestation that all of us even though in our education we learned this course called systems design but design did not really operate at a systemic level at that point of time we still had to go into the verticals into the specializations so i had to become a product designer and you had to become a something else designer and somebody else to be a textile designer today actually the world is becoming a lot more systemic and design can actually plug in you can plug into any end and start contributing at any other end because they are all interlinked and you can see that right so i think that is the the like you said this is the moment where it is time to sort of entrench ourselves and embed ourselves in a systemic level not just at the superficial level and and actually contribute make an impact yeah i think that is where this new framework that you are working on is this going to empower the students yeah. because i think of what we studied what we were trained initially and what is expected to do i think there is a continuous learning to be relevant to actually yeah. add that value because of the restrictions of the exposure that we had you know it was 100% but it was to that domain that field and i think what you are working on is going to help people to not be bucketed but you know open up and be another insight which i have gathered as an educator which is that i have heard a lot of industry people complain that uh, uh, designers are like really cool people and very very bright minds and all that but they have to invest a lot of time and effort in retraining them when they join their sector that's a constant complaint that i've heard not complaint but it's like a pain point so to speak and they say that you know you guys are really cool but you know you don't understand our domain like you came into fintech like financial technology so uh, i have to really take 6 months before you actually start becoming productive in my company so i have to i have to in effect retrain you and that i have to pay for because you're on my payroll by that time why can't institutes teach this and obviously the answer is that institutes can't teach designers everything every possible subject that they want to be part of and that's why this model is open ended in terms of that impact domain is that that becomes part of the education it becomes built into the four years that you spend as an undergraduate student and your first two years you can spend in learning the design basics in the next two years you can actually spend in the field of your choice so that by the time you leave you are already immersed already trained in some sense at least so that you're not a complete outsider and you don't require like a orientation from scratch you're already well versed in that in the practices and culture of the domain you already figured out where you can contribute and make an impact you picked up some skills along the way of course you'll get better but you are half trained anyway ready to perform wonderful great i do we have more time the more questions that are coming in i mean do you want to take a question or two you okay yeah yeah i, yeah, I can great. be till 6:30 so no i think we can continue at least a few questions let's say uh okay. how much does a designer need to think about ethics especially in the context of ai playing central role in our futures absolutely i think designer uh, ethics would be expected of a designer and should be like part of your mandatory training and qualification i mean the fact that you are certified as a designer should mean that you are certified as an ethical practitioner it should come as part of the package uh, it is unreasonable to expect that you just train in the technical aspects and the ethics is an optional thing if i feel like i'll do ethics otherwise i won't do ethics it cannot be left to that and i think institutions educational institutions have to and even the certifying institutions have to make sure that this is integrated into the curriculum into the framework and not just for the sake of uh, passing exams but really it is sort of uh, the students are uh, made aware of the consequences uh, of of you know ethics and different shades of ethics in the practice um, and as you said exactly the kind of level of technology sophistication that's coming up very very it's already here it's just a matter of time before before we get enveloped by it um, it it's going to be a really crucial issue one of the 
things I can recommend for anybody who's interested in this is to listen to the talks of or read the books of this Israeli futurist called Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, so look up Yuval, Yuval Noah Harari on, on YouTube and just listen to some of his talks. He talks a lot about future and ethics as well in technology. Thanks. Thank you, Arjun. Uh, I think covered all the questions. I request the audience if, if there was any question that you had posted and have not picked, if you could repost. I think I have. I have a question. I have an answer actually because I gave a similar talk uh, just last week at Spotify, and some of the audience members there, they were, I mean, it was not an identical talk, but it was similar in tone. They were also like totally flabbergasted by what I was saying. And they also thought a lot about it. And they came back and said, uh, this makes sense what you're saying, but where do we start? You know, what do we do, right? I mean, where, what is the action line on this, on what you're saying? And uh, I did think about that. Uh, my first answer, of course, which I will share with you now is the same answer, is that I don't know. I don't have an answer. I don't have a magic formula. I don't have a blueprint which shows you exactly what has to happen. No, I don't have that. But I think that is perhaps part of the answer. It's again like a wicked problem solution where it's deceptive. It's a thing that looks like a solution is deceptive just because it looks like a solution and it can actually complicate the problem. Perhaps the answer is, and I think, and I keep going back somehow to Mahatma Gandhi as somebody who came up with this whole freedom movement, uh, not single-handedly, of course, but he did sort of mastermind it in, in some sense. And, and there is a whole, uh, his whole philosophy or approach was to, to get people to find their own answers. His whole notion of Swaraj, which we talk about a lot today, is actually decentralized autonomous communities, is that people have to find their own solutions in their own context, in their own locality. And they have to find ways to coexist uh, you know, at their own scale. And the whole job of the nation or the government or whatever systems should be to enable people to live like that and to encourage people to live like that. Instead of being governed by one central bureaucracy or whatever it might be, uh, people should decide that, make their own decisions at the localized community levels. And I think that is my answer also, which I give to Spotify, is that you have to look at your own immediate context. The answer has to be local. It can't be a global answer. And my answer also is that, therefore, we can't see design as a, a, what they call a capital D design. We have to see design as constituted of many designs, very, very different designs of the kind Akash was asking about as well. So that also is design. And what uh, artisan does with, with hand, hand crafts and hand tools is also design. It's not non-design. Uh, because, like I said, design is an evolutionary impulse. Everybody responds to it in their own way. Some people say Jugaad is not design. I disagree. I think Jugaad is also design. Uh, they're all different forms and manifestations and contexts uh, of design. And But at the core of it, what is common to all of them is the human urge to, to improve th their condition from the current situation to a preferred situation. So my answer was that maybe if enough of us start looking for these answers actively and actually prototyping solutions in our own context, and if a sufficient number of us starts doing it, we actually might have the answer because there is a whole tipping point theory which says that you can bring about large scale behavior change when about one third of the population uh, switches to a new way of doing things. So suppose one third of Earth's population switched to living sustainably in a zero waste way, there is a good chance that we might reach a tipping point and swift swing everything, the rest of the population also in that direction, the whole economy in that direction, the whole you know the linear economy into a circular loop and all of that. So it's not actually so difficult or so impossible to think of. But yes, if you're looking for a textbook way to do that and just one solution, one size fits all solution, which works anywhere in the world, I don't think that's going to come. Yeah, great. So uh, thanks for that, Advent. 
and we have one more question from Arvind, which is, okay. what about this new thing called speculative design that is being peddled? And is, it, is this similar to what you're working on or what we've talked today? Not as far as I know. Uh, and uh, I mean, if you use the word peddled, it means that you, you resent it in some way or you think it's something cheap or uh, undeserving perhaps. And I don't agree with that. Uh, I think speculative design is uh, an experimental uh, aspect of design training and design practice, where the objective is not really to come out with a with a successful uh, solution or, or you know business model or whatever it is, but it's actually purpose is to get people to start thinking and reflecting. Uh, so it is in, it comes from a theory or a practice called critical design, uh, which has sort of branched out into what is called speculative design. But the idea really is to create these conceptual uh, creations, uh, which make us think it's like a satire or a spoof, right? You won't say it's being peddled because the job of a satire is to really point a mirror back at us and show us, you know, what we take as granted or what we accept as normal and say, are you sure really that this is what you want? Because, you know, when presented in an absurd way or in a humorous way, it actually makes you wonder. If you look at the films of Charlie Chaplin, for example, when he came up with modern times and so on, they were really satires. They were actually satires on the whole modern industrial economy. Uh, and you could, I, I mean, I could say that it's speculative because it is not a solution. He did not give a solution. He gave, in fact, us, he gave us a mirror to look back with. And I, I tend to see speculative design as part of that kind of a critical practice uh, whose objective is perhaps not commercial. And I have no problem with non-commercial practice at all. I, I, I hope that brings some clarity to these two different so. things that we've talked about. Yeah. Great. So do we have any questions? audience we have some time with Arvind and I would really really urge you to take you know full full advantage of having Arvind with you and if you have any questions please post I think we could close any any questions from anyone we could wrap up then. I think I think we should wrap up now yeah so I think we've covered all questions all right. and we've had Arvind you know, really okay. being patient to answer all the questions that we've had and some are okay. not so relevant to the topic, but you know, with all your experience, I think you've just helped us get something there. So great, thank you so much, Arvind. Uh, thanks for taking time and thanks for you know, sharing uh, the, this new framework that you're working on. And I'm sure that it's going to help the future uh, you know, generation of designers to be more empowered, have you know, more things to offer to and be more relevant. And I think equipped uh, to, to take that up. So. Right. Thank you so much, Arvind. And uh, just, just before we sign off, I'll, I want to uh, remind everyone who's on this call, if you're not yet an ADI member, please uh, do take time, visit the website and uh, do sign up, do become a member because uh, this talk that we did today is one of the many uh, uh, opportunities that we look forward to, we try to bring together to help all of us learn, all of us grow and add each other's to our learning journey. Right, so so sign up and uh, let us grow together. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Arvind. You have a good evening. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks.